Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. Whatever types of writing you do, our goal at Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger is to give you a shot of writing inspiration by picking the brains of all kinds of professional writers about their writing and the writing life. In this episode, I talk to my flute teacher, Elizabeth Parry, about being commissioned to write a biography of the legendary flautist Sir James Galway. In our chat, Elizabeth talked about the importance of finding an angle if you want your writing to stand out in a crowded marketplace. We also explored the links between music and writing. That's coming right up. Elizabeth Parry, welcome to the podcast. You're writing the biography of James Galway, who's probably the most famous living flautist. Most professional musicians aren't writers, so how did you secure that amazing gig? (laughs) Well, I'm very privileged to have the opportunity to write this um, biography. I obviously have had a long career as a flute player, but I've always been very interested in research and writing and did pursue some alternative (laughs) uh, career diversion where I did postgraduate study in history. And from that, I developed my writing and research skills. And uh, after I finished that degree, I went back to being a flute player, but with a different angle on how I wanted to pursue my career, which was to be much more diverse, to have a portfolio of skills Um, rather than uh, just being solely a player or teacher. And so I began uh, by doing some academic writing and um, I moved on to writing um, what you might call travel books, rather ephemeral, but um, nonetheless, they they took up quite a lot of time and um, it was a very interesting process. And... I about 10 years ago, the two pathways converged uh, in a very uh, serendipitous way where I uh, became the editor of a uh, leading flute magazine. So I was able to bring both my writing skills and my uh, flute knowledge to bear on the project. And I edited that magazine for uh, eight or nine years and that involved not only um, commissioning contributions and copy editing them but also very often writing articles myself and as part of that process I became uh, friends at, at some point with Sir James and Lady Galway and when they were looking for someone to write the biography to Uh, commemorate his 80th birthday which is coming up later this year they approached me with the idea and I was obviously very um, pleased to accept the commission and I've been working on it for several years now Um, I've had to pause uh, for for various other things that um, cropped up in in life <laughs> and as is uh, the way they yes do. Well, that's right and and I think actually being flexible is, is a really important thing when you're self-employed or freelance as as I am entirely self-employed I need to be able to build that flexibility into my schedule because uh, 
it's absolutely um, certain that things will crop up. And it's one of the benefits of being a writer, though, is that well, flexibility. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and and a musician as as well, a freelance musician, because you can um, choose what how you're going to work and when and where. Uh, so the project was paused for a while, and uh, but during the period of researching it, I've been um, around the world actually meeting, uh, in particular the flute makers who have made some of Sir James's collection of gold and platinum flutes. Uh, I didn't want to approach it from a a, a sort of um, biographical narrative angle because he had in the past written a number of autobiographies or was worked with collaborators to do so and I felt that his his life story was in fact quite well exposed so I came up with the idea that um, I would tell his story through the various flutes that he has used over time so it's structured in sections around the flute makers that he was most closely associated with at those times Um, which means that the book is illustrated with um, extensive photography of his collection and um, I went uh, numerous times to Boston which is a center of flute making and to Japan uh, to Denmark and uh, various other places to talk to flute makers who were closely involved uh, with the flutes that he was using and I've, I've used that to structure the, the book. So one of the things that we often talk about as writers is the need to find an angle and it sounds to me like you found an angle. Yes I, I and it, it gives me a good framework to work within and of course there's, there's a lot there's a big interview interviewing process involved in putting a book like this together so I interviewed as I said all the 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 flute makers but I've also spent a considerable amount of time with uh, Sir James and Lady Galway and other people who've been closely associated with Sir James's career uh, interviewing them and gathering the research which is the foundation stage of writing the book and I've written mm, a about probably 30,000 words. But surely the deadline is coming up in his birthday. I don't know, I don't know when he, his birthday is. But... Uh, his, his birthday is at the end of December. <laughs> yes, I'm working quite hard on it. Yeah. Interviewing is obviously a very important writerly skill, but what would you say are the secrets to interviewing someone well? I'm very conscious that I'm interviewing you at this very moment. <laughs> Well, I, I think actually, I mean, you you go into the interview with an idea of what you want to talk about. But for me, it's, it's all about letting the conversation flow freely. And I might have a broad outline of, of topics or questions, but it can easily veer way off topic. And of course, that is where the most interesting stuff comes from. So I do embrace that free flow in the conversation. So how has researching a biography, albeit a biography with a very particular structure and angle, how has that differed um, or even how is it comparable to the other types of writing you've done? So 
travel writing, magazine editing, academic writing? Well, I, I suppose the first and most obvious difference is that you're dealing with someone who is alive. And um, most academic writing, or certainly in my field, um, has been historical and document-based, whereas this is, you might call it oral history, actually. I think it's very interesting because when you are dealing with a living subject, you have to... I, th I think biographies can either become almost like the life of a saint or a hatchet job. And you have to find the right pathway through that. But I think by interviewing a range of people, you can, it's, it's like different facets of a prism. You can shine light on it in, on it in different ways. So paint him not, so, not as a saint, but as a fully rounded human being. Yes. How do you feel your experience as a musician has informed your writing practice? I know certainly from my own experience and my own sense is that the best writing has a musicality. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, th I think that's very perceptive and I completely agree with you. I see both my writing and um, playing as being very closely linked. First of all, there's there's a discipline to both of them actually being a musician takes a lot of practice over a lifetime and it's something that you can never really let go you don't arrive at a point where you say I'm a musician now I don't need to practice anymore I've learned everything <laughs> <laughs> no I like to think um, that I'm always learning as a musician and actually I particularly feel that as a as a teacher, I feel that my student, I learn a lot from the process of working with my students. As a writer, I feel that you need to bring the same discipline to it and the same knowledge that you will at times not be very good and that you need to you need to practice and polish the end. Product uh, in writing, uh, that's obviously editing, but it's the same process as working on a piece of music and understanding how how it works and how you want to play it and what you want to do with it. It's a a creative evolution of every note and, and every word. And I agree with you that writing has a has a, a musical shape to it. And I personally, I very often read my writing out loud. I recommend it to all my students. Um, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Um, I, I read it out loud because it, it's only then that you really get a sense of the um, melodic shape and cadence of, of the phrase. And you also become more aware of uh, repetition and uh, the the general structure of it again something that I bring very much from music is the sense of structure um this may be a diversion but I, I have to say I've never had a writing lesson but I do think the best writing lesson I've never had a formal writing lesson but I come from a family of absolutely um voracious voracious readers and so I I read extremely widely and I think to be a writer you need to 
read widely. I think to be a musician, you need to listen and not only listen to your own instrument. Don't listen to one voice. I, I always recommend listening to string players and singers, actually, and different styles of music. And I think with writing, you need to be a reader. And I think you need to read as many voices and styles as you can. But just going back to my my only writing lesson, I recall being maybe eight or so years old and I'd been set some homework, which was something like write a story about your cat. And I'm sat at the table and I write, you know, I like my cat, my cat is brown or whatever. And my mother glanced at it and said, you need to make it more interesting than that. You need to change the shapes of the phrases so start with something different, like my cat is sitting on the windowsill. Sometimes she will come to me when she is hungry. And she opened my eyes to the idea that I could manipulate words to, be, to give them a, a richness of texture and shape, which is very much something that you also find in music. And that was my one and only and best writing lesson and I never looked back after that. But those early <laughs> lessons are so important. I'm, I mean I'm very very envious of, of people who grow up in musical households because they've got that sort of ingrained in them in a way yes. that I think when you come to music later in life maybe it, it's harder to, to establish that. But my mum, like your mum, obviously your mum obviously loved words. Yes. Uh, my mother, she wasn't, she left school at 16, but she had an English teacher who imbued in her a love of language. Mm. And she used to read me, when I was about five years old, she used to read Shakespeare to me. And apparently I turned to her and go, I just love the sound of the words. Yes. And I think that... So you grew up inculcated in the richness the of richness the, the, the language. The richness and the rhythms as And well. the rhythms of the language. Yes. Yes. I don't entirely agree with you, though, that you can't come to music late and, and I suppose the same would be true of writing. Um, I'm very passionate about teaching adult students who are often dismissed as uh, people who will not be able to learn as quickly as children um, or who will never get to as high a level as children and I actually really disagree with that and the reason I think that is that Adults have a much more developed neural network, and so which is usually the argument that that that's why we can't learn quickly. No, but you've it's like it's like you've got more pegs to hang information on, and you might process it in a different way. But it's the the role of of the teacher to find a way that helps you to do that. And in my own teaching I tend to be very analytical um, and this is why I like teaching adults and teach adults exclusively actually because the approach my approach to teaching adults is to listen diagnose the whatever the problem might be or how something could be improved and then discuss it in quite analytical detail with the student and develop exercises and so forth whereas I find with children they are really much more set up to learn by copying and I find that very limiting and not as intellectually stimulating 
and I like being intellectually stimulated. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I think it, it's sort of part part of the the sort of wishing we'd learned music earlier thing. It it partly ties into this idea of well, you have an innate talent that is there early on, and when you come to it to something like music or writing later, then you don't have the talent. And and certainly the this these are the sorts of unhelpful ideas that I I try to address in my own teaching of. Yes. writing that that I have a lot of people who come into my courses who have been told that they can't write at the age of five you know and this has been something that they've lived with for 40 years and finally they want to kind of grasp with this and I agree you just need to be analytical and anyone can be taught and shown how to write with the right feedback yes I, I've, <clears throat> I've never tried to teach anyone writing but I'm sure mm. that's I'm sure that's true. And really, with, with both music and writing, I see them as, as processes. It's, it's a lifelong process of development, and that may come in fits and starts. We probably all have periods where we stall a bit <clears throat> or become very stagnant. And um, I think it's important to stay creatively aware and creatively excited to get through those those periods and really the idea of of being a creative person is what drives me in both music and writing I see them as they are outlets for something else that's inside me it's just the tap that happens to be turned on at any particular time is and I think that that intensely personal nature of it is can actually create a lot of vulnerability in a student if for example you're told that you can't write it's like your very being is being attacked yes, yes, and similarly with very, music yes it's very it's very damaging but i think that um we retain that vulnerability and that that's the root of performance anxiety which i think most musicians suffer from i certainly do and the sense of of being nervous about your next performance can be easily translated into a sort of fear of publication it's that moment of having to put your innermost creative thoughts into the public eye and I have ways that I address that with my students in terms of music and I suppose they would apply in terms of writing as well and for me it's it's the sense that we have to stop expecting that everyone is judging us in a negative way. When we perform, actually, people are there because they want to hear the music. They're not there willing you to fail. They're not there to have a laugh at your incompetence. They've come to hear the music. And your performance is a gift of that music to those people. And in that, you create a relationship with your audience. And I think that is really crucial, both to be um, an engaging performer, but also in being in control of your own performance, to, to step away from the sense of judgment and remember that you're there because you want to give something that has come from your heart to your audience and that they are there to catch that ball 
it's an interrelationship and with writing of course it, it's there's a fearful moment when you publish as well and you always find mistakes after, oh, yes. <laughs> afterwards um, but you want to convey something and until you take that plunge all you've got is some scribblings on your computer and you are not engaging in a way that actually frees your creative spirit because it's it's the let it's the throwing the ball for someone else to catch that is the moment that you become a writer or a performer one of the things that i always emphasize when i'm working with students is that the most important thing about writing is that relationship with the reader and actually connecting with that reader is much more important than the technicalities of grammar or punctuation I've just released a course on punctuation but actually I don't think punctuation is the most important aspect of writing obviously if you want credibility you want to get it right and if you want to go into editing you want to be able to punctuate correctly but far more important is that connection with the reader not worrying about the words so much but about that what the reader needs and how you can meet, even for something as day-to-day as business writing, in fact, especially yes. something as day-to-day as, as business writing, you need to think about who your reader is and what what effect you want to create in them rather than worrying about technicalities and am I saying this in the right way? Yes, and I think that, that leads to a lot of bad writing. You see it particularly in academia, actually, oh, yes. where, where there's so much... Um, subject specific jargon and I think in many cases people write like that because they feel that they have to use those words to gain credibility and actually a lot of the time you can pair it away to something much more succinct and and penetrating. I think the best academic writing is clear and direct and I think the best, most successful academics write in that clear, direct way. Um, Richard Dawkins, mm-hmm. very famous academic, always gets his actress wife to read his work aloud and is very concerned with the musicality of his writing. But but there's a confidence there that comes from that very direct approach that, that eschews all that nasty academic jargon full of abstract nouns and yes. horrible... <laughs> <laughs> and, weighted and, down and, prose and, and very um, polysyllabic yes. and lachinate yes. words yes. it's as if you get extra stars for that yes. yeah. <laughs> but partly I think that's because we are brought up at school maybe to, to write in that way to impress with our vocabulary well, yes, I, I think so and I was about to say it's a very teenage thing Yes, I, I remember when I you know, first sort of started really gaining a command of words I love to find the most fancy words. Yes. The, the, the thesaurus <laughs> never left my side. <laughs> uh, Stephen King famously says, uh, if you found it in the thesaurus, it's the wrong word. <laughs> I would add to that, if it even sounds like you found it in a thesaurus, it's the wrong word. Yes. Yes, I have put aside childish things. <laughs> <laughs> so you keep your writing short and simple. I I try to keep it direct. I, I think the th- the um the content and the thought processes are are very multi-layered but i try and keep i i have a sense of the right word or i aim for a sense of the right word in the right place is this-
this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit my blog, goodcopybadcopy.co.uk, for a wealth of writing tips and to claim your free copy of my ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That'll Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, do remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Your support really means a lot to me because it helps get the show notice. Now, back to the interview. So you mentioned that you feel you're constantly learning and part of that learning process is interacting with students. I certainly feel as a writer I'm constantly learning like you. I'll never get to a point where tick, done that. Um, what, what do you feel that you do learn from working with students? I learn different ways of approaching things actually. So you can teach core repertoire for example over and over again Bach sonatas or Handel sonatas or whatever it might be and you've probably been playing them since you were 13 and you can and I think many teachers do get stuck in a certain way of playing it I hope that's not true of myself but what I find in working with students on any given piece of music um, is that it makes me think in detail again about how best to convey what that piece is trying to say and how I might share that with the student and of course they will bring their own thoughts on on how they want to say something but often if they're not very advanced in their development they might be emulating other players which is why I advise generally not to listen to other flute players but to listen to other related kinds of music so that you don't pollute your own developmental process musically because you do need to get right into the the heart of the music so I do I think I learn in that way because I every student brings something new to a piece and that makes me think fresh about how I want to deal with that with them. I also like to work a lot on technique with them and that's led me to really examining in great detail my own ways of learning and the materials that I've used over time and also it's led me to developing my own materials which I'm doing more and more because as I've reached that maturity in my own playing and technique I feel confident to convey the way that I want that I think would be helpful to learn it rather than just sticking to the same traditional materials of which there are many yes and it's the same with writing I think there's so much writing about writing that you could easily (laughs) use and draw on but there's no one correct approach necessarily that that works for everyone. Well, that's right, because everyone is creatively a different individual, and, and that's why we want to be creative artists in whatever medium we're working. I think that it's that sense, that desire to express something of ourselves through a creative medium that, that drives us, but necessarily that's a very individual thing. So what as as we can impart is are the tools to be able to to do that but the the journey is the students 
Elizabeth Parry, thank you. It's been delightful talking to you. Before I let you go, uh, I want to subject you to our quickfire round. First of all, what fuels your writing, coffee, tea or something strong? Uh, much as I like a glass of wine, I definitely don't uh, feel I write my best when I have one and that is absolutely true of playing as well I will never drink before I play um, I've tried it my embouchure <laughs> no 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 it goes can't. all over the place it's, it's just no you can't um although musicians are renowned for liking a drink um, but we do ideally do that after the concert mm-hmm. um I, coffee is the answer and when do you like to write are you a lark or an owl oh I'm very much a morning person yes do you plan or plunge? Do you draft a detailed outline or would you dive right in? I am very keen on mind mapping. And you see, I don't get on with mind mapping. Right. I find, I struggle to work out how you go from lots of blobs on a page to the sort of linear um, thing that's needed on a page. Yes, I'd be interested I, to know how you all do right. that. I, I just use mind mapping to get a whole sort of vortex of ideas out of my head then I structure. If I'm writing, doing academic writing, it's very structured. If I'm writing fiction... It's, Which we haven't really talked about. No, and, and that's a new uh, enterprise for me, but and it's very experimental, but that is very much more free flow. So I wouldn't say I plot out what I'm doing, but if I'm writing something academically, I will certainly plot out the the um, sort of arrow of my research and obviously my conclusions before I start. Other less rigorous writing, magazine articles for example, I generally just have an idea and see where it goes. I'm So I, the answer is both of those things. Yes, I think both are <laughs> suitable and appropriate for different types of writing and different projects. Would you describe your desk as clear or cluttered? Oh, very clear. I am extremely minimalist, extremely organised, and I can't bear it any other way. If if my study was in a mess, I would have to tidy it up before I could start work. We don't want that procrastination activity. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, interesting question next. Music or silence when you're writing? Oh, silence. Yes. Um, I'm I'm good at blocking out extraneous sounds. I, I I live in a very quiet place, and so those sounds are mostly um bird bird song, uh, which doesn't bother me. But in I you know when you work in a library, for example, I'm oblivious to sound around me. I think the the reason I can't work with music is because I'm a musician. I I can't really it, it can't just be background noise to me. I actually listen to it, and that takes a different part of my brain. Very distracting. Who's your favourite writer? That's a very complicated question and I, I, I'm afraid I'm not going to um, give you a single answer on that because I do read extremely widely all sorts of things like contemporary fiction, classics, what I don't, whatever the mood takes me and my favourite will quite possibly be whatever I'm reading at the time. There are, I certainly have a list of writers I greatly admire, um, and I have a list of topics and styles that I generally favour in fiction, 
but I don't have a single writer. Do you want to name a handful of names? Um, a couple of names. I uh, admire Ian McEwan and Alan Hollingshurst. I'm very... A, a lot of the writers I read are actually in translation, so that is maybe a little hard to judge. I'm, I'm very interested in magical realism, and uh, that tends to be a Spanish genre, and I don't have any Spanish. So those are in translation. Of course, some are better translated than others, but in that instance, I'm reading for I'm reading for content, actually. But I like, I like taught prose that is very uh, sensitive to the human condition, and I, I think that Ian McEwan and Alan Hollings are both fine examples of that. Finally, what's your best writing tip? My best writing tip is is a practice that I uh, initially took from The Artist's Way, uh, which is um, a book about uncovering your creative flow. And it's to start the day with, with a, a session of free writing. And I do, at times I do that very religiously and at other times I let it fall but I find that when I do that that is an extremely productive uh, way for me to to get the process flowing so I think certainly writing every day is crucial but for me even if I'm I know that on the agenda is is, is some fairly serious non-fiction writing I actually write very freely uh, and imaginatively in those 20 minute morning pages to overcome the fear of yeah getting um, it out there. release it, it does it releases the block and and also it it helps you process things that maybe you didn't even know that you were dwelling upon um it's it's a process of release and 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 self-investigation that is is quite uh perhaps it's getting in touch with the subconscious and because i think that's where all the most interesting expression comes from that's something I very much want to do. Elizabeth Parry thank you so much it's, it's been, been a, very interesting. It's been a great pleasure Claire thank you for inviting me. If you enjoyed the show remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen and if you could leave a review while you're there that would really help me get the show noticed. As ever visit goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. Until the next episode bye from me. Mm-hmm.